You found the book of James? Yes? Chapter 4 is, uh, is our focus this morning, namely the final section, verses 13 through 17. And so let me read the Word of God for us. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is, it is sin. I'm looking out there, and uh, there you are looking at me. And uh, I can't help but wonder, actually, I, know, I already know the answer for some of you, if, uh, if some of us are in the midst of making some pretty big decisions, some, some pretty big plans. College comes to mind. Some of our young people are looking at college. Do I go to college? Do I not go to college? If I do go to college, where do I go to college? How do I pay for college? Big plans, big decisions. Uh, some might be thinking about marriage, for all I know. Uh, some may be thinking of children, starting a family, adopting a child, adding to the family, uh, whatever, uh, making decisions. Some are contemplating retirement, counting the years, uh, the months, the days, playing with the numbers. Can I retire? When can I retire? If I do retire, where will I have to live when I retire? Big plans, big decisions, employment. My job contract is coming to an end. Uh, this job just isn't for me. I'm considering changing employment. I'm considering moving to a different town, starting again, a different career. Big plans, big decisions. It was easier when we were children, wasn't it? You children, look at me just for a moment. It's, it's pretty easy right now. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Uh, do I choose between chocolate or vanilla? I mean, that, that was it. Strawberry, for those who dare. Chocolate or vanilla. Uh, decisions. Uh, it was so much easier when someone else was making these hard decisions for us. And we grew older and older and older. And life became more complex and more complex. And the decisions became uh, weightier and weightier and weightier. And I think these decisions loom large. I'm convinced these decisions become so big, so difficult, so hard, because we fear the uncertainty. What if I make a bad decision? What if I make the wrong decision? What will happen if I choose the wrong thing? What will happen if I marry the wrong person? What will happen if I attend the wrong school? What will happen if I follow the wrong career path? And on and on it goes. And we can spend so much time thinking about these things. We can spend so much time and effort pondering all of the variables that we actually work ourselves into a state of mental paralysis. Mental paralysis. Well, the decision's just so big. These plans are just too significant. The choice is just too hard. 
Well, I think James provides some wonderful help. We'll check that. It's the Spirit of God who provides some wonderful help for believers, for believers this day. And we find this help in the passage that I have read for us. And I want to submit to you that basically the help is discovered, is embraced when we uh, acknowledge three things. Acknowledge three things. There's the simple sermon outline. And as we face these big decisions, whatever they might be, and we want to do the right thing, we want to do the God-honoring thing, to arrive there, uh, we need to embrace uh, three things. The first thing we need to embrace is this, the folly of presuming, the folly or the foolishness of presuming. Look at what he says again in the 13th verse. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, let's proceed carefully. Let's proceed cautiously. Let's be very careful to understand what it is James is not saying. He is not condemning moving. Moving house, moving to a different town, that's not his point. He is not condemning making a profit. If you can make a profit, I suggest to you, you make a profit. You make as much of a profit as you can. Nothing wrong with that. He has no problem with planning. He has no problem with saving He has no problem with investing. If you think for one moment, James is suggesting we should adopt a laissez-faire attitude to life and what comes, what comes, que sera, sera, tomorrow, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to plan anything. I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants and embrace it all. You are sorely misgiven and mistaken. That is not his point. He is condemning the sin of presumption. Presumption. The sin of presumption is simply this. I will go. I will spend. I will trade. I will make a profit. And I will do those things while ignoring three realities. Are you with me? I will do these things while ignoring, disregarding, giving no attention whatsoever to these three realities. Reality number one, my view is limited. My view is limited. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so I make those decisions, I make those plans while ignoring this reality that my view is limited. James is actually citing, he is actually quoting from the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 1. He doesn't give us the whole verse. Here's the entire verse. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So it isn't simply it isn't simply the fact that I don't know what tomorrow will bring. It is boasting about tomorrow when in actual fact I haven't the foggiest what tomorrow will bring. It is presuming that all things will be equal tomorrow. It is going about my business. It is living my life. It is making my plans, making my decisions as if tomorrow was an absolute certainty. 
You go to your kitchen sink, you turn on the tap, and without ever thinking about it, what do you expect to come out of the tap? Water. You just just never expect water isn't going to come out of the tap. You're heading into a room, it's dark, you flick the switch on the wall, and what do you expect to just happen? You expect the lights to come on, right? You never, as you approach that switch, you never think for one moment, is it going to come on? Is it not going to come on? As you turn on that tap, never one thought, is water going to come out or not come out? We just presume these things. Well, James' point is this, you dare not presume when it comes tomorrow through tomorrow. We dare not approach life. We dare not live life as if tomorrow were an absolute certainty. I know tomorrow is coming and the day after that and the day after that. He's basically challenging this mindset where we think all things will continue as they are perpetually. And we never take into consideration, we never factor in the equation, this simple reality. My view is limited. I actually don't have a clue what might transpire tomorrow. As I make decisions, I ought to factor that in, thereby avoiding the folly of presumption. The second reality is this. My life is fragile, still in the 14th verse, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Here it is. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are here today. You might be gone tomorrow. There are a couple of Old Testament texts that Jude might be, James might be thinking of. Uh, Job chapter 14, we read, man comes like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Psalm 103, we read, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. The fragility of life. I hope this doesn't come across as too morbid. But I often slow down around graveyards. I do, as I'm driving or even walking by. There's one in particular, as you go, as you go out of town past Dinosaur Valley, the, the, the state park, and you cut off before you come to that river crossing, the adventurous river crossing, if you've ever been down there, there's a, there's a little graveyard just off to the side, and I will often just slow down and just peer at those tombstones, some fresh, some ancient. Uh, some recently placed flowers and wreaths, some long ago forgotten. And it is a sobering, sobering reminder, isn't it? Living, vibrant, active men and women here at one time and now gone. And but a memory in the minds of a few and soon given another generation or two to be forgotten by all. Oh, to live with no regard for the fragility, the weakness of life, that we are but flesh. We are but dust. We are but a morning mist that soon evaporates and vanishes before the burning sun. We are here for a little time, and then we are gone. 
The third reality is this. Not only is my view limited, and not only is my life fragile, but my God is sovereign. And so James declares in verse 15, instead, you ought to say, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God reigns supreme. That's Jude's point. That's Jude's conviction. All things, says the Apostle Paul, all things, great, small, above, below, flow, flow from God, through God, and to God. That means God is the cause of all things. All things flow from Him. It means God sustains all things. All things exist through Him. And God is the purpose for which all things exist. All things exist to Him. That He is the supreme sovereign. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light, who no man has seen nor can see. He is the only and blessed sovereign, and his will is done in heaven below and on earth beneath. And for me to go through life without any regard for the King of kings and the Lord of lords is sheer presumption. It's not merely presumption, it is the epitome of foolishness. That is James' point. Oh, the folly of presumption. My view is restricted, limited. My life is fragile. It is mere dust. My God is sovereign. And as I make decisions, if I want to make wise decisions, if I want to make right decisions, if I long to make God-honoring decisions, that I must shun the folly of presuming. The second thing is this. I must shun the folly of boasting. Now we're into the 16th verse. As it is, says James, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so he's simply building on what he has just said in the preceding verses, and he is addressing those among his audience in his day who dare to think, who dare to assume or presume that they are exempt from the providence of God. You know, we have the attitude portrayed in detail, very candidly, in Luke's gospel account where we read of the Lord Jesus uh, sharing a parable. Do you remember this parable? It's of a rich man. And this rich man, the wealth is just coming in. He can't keep track of it all. And he decides he's going to tear down his old barns and put up new barns and just store it all. And then basically we have this rich man, this wealthy man, this careless man addressing himself. Soul, here's what you're now to do. Relax. Eat. Drink and be merry. There's a man making decisions. There's a man living his life without any regard for those three realities. My view is limited. My life is fragile. And God is sovereign. No, I'm living as I want to live. Not only am I being presumptuous, but I'm actually being arrogant. And what does the Lord Jesus add to that parable? What is the statement with which he ends it? 
fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Stark foolishness. And it's not merely foolishness, it is the epitome of arrogance that somehow I am be above and beyond, beyond the reach of the providence, all-reaching providence of a sovereign God, and I can live as I please. Oh, we would do, do so well to learn from Hannah, wouldn't we? Do you remember Hannah's song back in 1 Samuel? It's rather lengthy. Here's a brief excerpt. Here it is. The Lord kills and brings to life. Never forget it. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. Oh, man in his arrogance. Unbridled boasting. What's the number one song at a non-religious funeral? Religious funeral? Likely amazing grace. Probably. There could be others. I don't know. Non-religious funeral. Most popular song. My way. I did it. My way. Paul Anka, right? Penned it. Frank Sinatra popularized it. I did it my way. And people are crying. Isn't that wonderful? No. No, it's not wonderful. That is unbelievably sad unbelievably sad, the bridled arrogance in the face of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all things, the one who rules unchallenged in authority above, the one who declares heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. I did it my way. Oh, such Boasting, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Oh, Moses declared long ago, if they were wise, if they were wise, if, big if, if they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. They would discern perceive, understand their latter end, where it all ends. I was reminded of this powerfully, painfully this past week. We talk about the God of providence. I have a dear friend back in Ontario and uh, mid-40s, contracted cancer over a year ago. And um, he's doing better. He's bouncing back. He's on the rebound. And the prognosis is good. He has a brother, 41. Talk about bizarre. Contracted cancer at more or less the same time. He has, now has less, less than a month to live. Two brothers in their 40s. And one, the prognosis, almost a clean bill of health. And the other, a little less than a month to go. And uh, my friend, a believer, a, a solid believer, a man I, I respect greatly. His brother an unbeliever. And for the past uh, couple of months, each week, my friend has been making the two, three-hour drive to visit his brother, basically to weep with him and plead with him, 
to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to recognize the f- how fragile life is, to weigh his latter end as he is, he is, he is staring death in the face and to understand that he, he's going to come before the judge, the judge of all, and the books will be opened and uh, nothing will be forgotten. And every deed and every word and every thought will be weighed and laid bare. And sentence will be passed. And the sentence will be eternal condemnation. And he's pleading with his brother to understand that uh, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, one name given under heaven by which we must be saved, that the Lord Jesus Christ upon Calvary's cross suffered that condemnation. The Lord Jesus Christ took that curse upon himself, bore our sin in our place. And there we have the one mediator between God and man. There we have the reconciler, the mediator between an offended God and offensive man. There we have a mediator between a holy God and sin-ridden man. And his creator's command is simply this, look to the Son. Oh, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to the Redeemer. Look to the Savior. Oh, but this young man's obstinacy wants nothing to do with it. Even as he knocks at death's door, wants absolutely nothing to do with it. Complete blindness and a complete unwillingness to discern his latter end even as he is dying, still boasting in his arrogance, failing to recognize that all such boasting is evil. And I don't think for one moment he's uttering the words, but he's certainly living the sentiment, still singing, I did it my way. Oh, the folly of boasting. If we want to make right decisions, God-honoring decisions, life-changing decisions, decisions of eternal consequence, oh, we must put aside the folly of boasting. And here's the third thing we must be clear on, the duty of obeying, verse 17. So, so, it's a big so, folks. So, therefore, whoever knows... He's been down this road, I don't know how many times, whoever knows the right thing to do, fails to do it. For him it is, it is sin. I think he, he, oh, he's, he's, taken us, he's taken us on this journey so many times, most clearly. Just turn back, just for a moment. Turn back, flip back a few pages to chapter 1. By way of reminder, and look at what James pens in the 22nd verse. This idea of knowing something and acting on something. And this great, this great uh, contrast that James draws beginning in chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
He will be blessed in his doing. He is now saying, back to chapter 4, precisely the same thing, but now it's contextual. He has an actual example before us. And so the point is this. Look, I want you to remember there are two, there are two kinds of men out there, two kinds of women. Uh, everybody thinks they know. Uh, even as, as I'm writing to you, I can imagine James saying this. You think you know this. You, you've heard this from me before. You've heard it from others. This is water under the bridge. I know that. I understand that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just hold on. There are two ways of knowing. There are those who hear and they know cognitively, but they never do anything about it. And his point, his real beef, his real issue with his audience is what? I put most of you in that category. You know. I don't have to explain this to you. The issue is not intellectual. It is not cognitive. It has nothing to do with that gray cerebral mass. You know a lot of stuff. The issue is what? You are a forgetful hearer. You hear, you know, you understand, but you never do a thing about it. No, 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 no. Here is true knowledge. It is to hear, it is to know, and then it is to act. It is to actually put in practice what we know. And so in the context now of chapter 4, yes, this reality, these three realities, my, my view is restricted of tomorrow. My life is fragile. I'm mere dust. God is sovereign. I now know the right thing to do. What's James' point? So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So you understand. I'm really ad-libbing here. Forgive me if I go too far. So you understand. Big deal, says James. Who cares? What are you going to do about it? That's his point to his audience. I've just explained it to you now, how you're supposed to live. I've just explained these two dangers, the folly of presuming and the folly of boasting. Now I am commanding you to act upon it. A failure to act upon it while you are simply compounding your sin. And you may have told, I'm not red in the face because I'm preaching. I've been red in the face because I got caught out in the sun yesterday. And I know, I know the sun's bad. Well, I mean, it's good. It gives life. I know the rays, ultraviolet rays are bad. I know, I know skin cancer. And you know, I can name four or five of you right now effortlessly who know it and you know it experientially because of what has happened. Face and the shoulders. I know it's true. And yet there I am yesterday watching a sports event, and um, I don't act on what I know. No, no lotion, nothing, no hat, nothing. There I am in the sun. Well, you've got to ask yourself, do I really know? Really know? If I really knew, what would I do? I would act upon it. Oh, the difference the difference between a mere intellectual understanding of facts and living and orienting the life accordingly. That's James' point. Here are three realities. Oh, my view is limited. My life is fragile. God is sovereign. He has not created me simply to do things. He has not created me simply to go to school. He did not create me simply to get a job. 
He did not create me simply to get married. He did not create me simply to have children for children's sake. He did not create me to make a lot of money at my job. He did not create me simply to prosper. He did not create me simply to take up a few hobbies. He did not create me simply to grow old. He created me to do these things for a purpose. He created me to do these things and live this life and make these decisions in such a way that I reflect these three realities. My view is limited. My life is fragile. And God Almighty is sovereign. And that is how I am supposed to live. And I'm supposed to honor God in these things. I am to seek to glorify God in all of these life choices and decisions and the paths I go down. I don't do these things simply because I do them. I do them because my creator, my God, has entrusted them to me. And he expects me to live in such a way. He calls me to make choices and decisions in such a fashion, such a manner that they declare who he is and the difference he makes in my life. Now, how does that help you? Right? Where do we begin? Some of you are going to college, right? So, so, so Stephen, do I go or don't I go? You haven't really, you haven't really helped me out there. Uh, we're make, you're making decisions about employment, marriage, children, retirement, moving house, whatever, vacation, all these decisions and things running through your mind. How does it all work out? Here it is. I'll give you, give you three questions. Be as practical and pastoral as I can be. Here they are, three questions. One or two might throw you a little bit, but uh, take some notes if you can. Listen to it later. Think through these things. And I pray God will bless them too. As number one, as we face decisions, number one, what is God's will? What is God's will? Now, careful. I don't mean by that what I'm guessing 99% of us in this room think I mean by that. What is God's will? Because there are two wills of God in the Bible. The secret things belong to the Lord and the revealed things are for us. The secret things are his decrees. His eternal and sovereign plans and purposes, they're secret. I've said this here before. Reminder is good. They're secret because they're secret. It is the secret will of God. His sovereign plans and purposes for this universe, his sovereign plans and purposes for your life. The revealed will of God belongs to you. Where do you find the revealed will of God? It's in the Bible. My question is, what is God's will? The question is not, what is God's will for my life in terms of what I should be doing, the choices and decisions I should be making? The question is this, what is God's will for my life as he has revealed it in the Bible? That is the number one question. What is God's will for me as revealed in his word? The problem is this. Not every decision, every choice is resolved by considering God's revealed will. As I've given you a couple of examples already. Do I go to college or not go to college? Do I go to that college or that college? Do I take that job or, or that job or do something completely different, a completely different career path? Uh, do I marry her? Do I marry her now? Uh, do I invest in this? Do I plan for that? Well, these are things to which the Bible, but Scripture does not speak. You have entered into the realm of the secret will of God. We are never, ever in Scripture commanded to figure out the secret will of God, His decrees for our lives. We are commanded to follow the revealed will of God. 
But then these decisions come along, decisions that have nothing to do with choosing between bad or good, wrong or right. They're simply decisions between what? Good and better and best. And so how do, how, how, how do I make those decisions? Question number two. Well, what do I think? What do I think? Yes, I said it. Well, what do I think? Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so as we are renewed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, our minds are being renewed so that we begin to think in accordance with the will of God, the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. We begin to think and, and, and we're molded and shaped by that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then as we face these decisions where there's really no moral right or wrong, good or, good or bad, it's simply, yeah, good, better, or best. Wisdom starts to take root. Yes, there it is. Biblical wisdom. We're not laying out Gideon's fleece, hoping it's wet or it's dry. We're actually using the brains God has given us to discern and exercise wisdom and make wise choices. Should you attend college? Well, are you smart enough to get into college? There's a good question. Can you pay for college? Or are you going to be saddled with debt for the next three decades? Well, there's your answer, isn't it? Should I study engineering? Well, again, do you have what it takes to study engineering and all that math and other stuff? And are there any jobs when you come out the other end? If there aren't any jobs, well, then why would you do that? Put the fleece away. Let's just reason together and use wisdom. Does anybody else think that's a good idea? Mom and dad? Do they see you being an engineer or do they always thought you should be something else? Should I marry her? Oh, I love that one. Does she want to marry you? <laughs> what does her dad think about that? What do close friends think about that? Should I serve in that particular ministry? Well, are you gifted in that area? Are you equipped in that area? Well, I think so. What do other people think? Has anyone ever confirmed that you're actually good at that? That that's actually a good fit for you? Oh, should I take that job? Well, how does it pay? Does it pay well? Will you be able to look after your family? Yeah. Does it mean moving? Yeah. Well, what are the consequences of moving? Uh, is there a Bible-believing, God-fearing church where you're thinking about going, or is that just an afterthought? Well, we'll figure it out once we're there and end up driving 45 minutes away. Oh, I mean, that job, what's it going to mean? Is it going to demand 80 hours of you each week? What will that mean for being head of the home? What's that going to do for your marriage? What's that going to mean for child-rearing? Oh, put the fleece away and use wisdom. Oh, we be renewed in the spirit of our minds that we're renewed in the will of God. We're discerning that which is good and right and true and acceptable and perfect in the sight of God. And as we do this and as we grow and as we mature and as we speak with others and engage with others, we simply ask the question as we face choices, what do I think? The third question is this, what do I want? I think that's dangerous. No, it's not. 
What do I want? Book of Psalms, chapter 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's wonderful. There's a commandment, folks. What's God's will? There's God's will. There's a commandment. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's all you need to worry about. Delight yourself in the Lord. Or as the Lord Jesus declared it, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. You're making God number one. You're making God the focal point. You're pursuing God and the means of grace that He has provided. You are by the Spirit of God being renewed, putting off the old, putting on the new. And so you are pursuing with God. You are seeking to walk in step with the Spirit, as Paul says in his epistle to the Galatians. You're delighting in God. And here's the wonderful reality, that as you delight in God, I dare say, His desires become your desires. It's no longer really my fleshly desires, but my desires that are now the fruit of my God working in me. Should you go to college? Do you want to go to college? Should I get married to that girl? Do you want to get married to that girl? Should I take that job? Do you want to take that job? Should I serve in that ministry? Do you want to serve in that ministry? Delight yourself in God and do whatever interests you and excites you for the glory of God. And guess what? You will have discovered His will for your life. You will have discovered His will for your life. Far too many of us, and this is where the mental paralysis comes in, far too many of us think that if we make the wrong decision, we step outside of God's will for our life. I won't ask for a show of hands. I already know how many hands will pop up if I ask how many of you have ever heard that one. Far too many of us think that if we make the wrong decision, we step outside of God's will for our life. I still remember it. 11, 12 years of age, campfire, Saturday night, last night of the camp. And they're, oh, they're drilling us hard. Last night of camp. You know what that's like, right? Decisions, decisions, decisions. And they're really pumping us this last night of camp. And uh, this one counselor gets up and starts talking about God's will for our lives. And you need, you, need, you need to discern God's will for your life. You need to figure out God's will for your life. You need to figure out you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to be seeking God's will for your life. Oh, and my friend, I pray you never step outside of God's will for your life. If you ever step out of God's will for your life, what do you, where he wants you to go, what do you want you to do? Oh, you're sinning and this will just be terrible, 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 terrible. Oh, how liberating it was. Sadly, 20 years later, when I realized this simple truth, if I am not disobeying God's revealed will, I am in God's will. Oh, how liberating that is. If I am not disobeying what he has clearly commanded in Scripture, I am in his will. And my calling, oh, such liberty, such freedom, is now simply to delight myself in the Lord and think through what do I want? What do I think? And use the collective wisdom of trust, trusted, well-worn uh, believers in the Lord who can counsel and confirm and instruct and bring counter viewpoints and help us to discern these things and make wise decisions. Oh, but please do away with the mental paralysis. I'm supposed to figure out exactly what God wants at this moment. I'm at a fork in the road. God never promises to reveal anything like that to you in the scripture, my friend. Never.
It is a fallacy with which most of us live. The secret things belong to the Lord. The revealed things are for you and your children. Oh, decision-making is difficult. Plans. Oh, making plans. It is so hard. Again, let me repeat why. We fear the uncertainty. And so let me leave you with these thoughts. I pray again the Spirit will bless them to us. When it comes to decisions, God does not make it easy by showing us the future. We want to know the future. The future is none of our business. He does not make it easy for us by showing us the future, but by showing us who He is. He promises that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He promises that He will work all things for our good. And He promises that He will hold us firm to the end. There is cause for thanksgiving. There is cause for rejoicing. And there is cause for trusting. Our Heavenly Father, we do declare our trust and faith and confidence in You this day. Thankful that we can address you as Father, that you have adopted us as children, having brought us into your family through the Lord Jesus. Oh, help us to be quick to hear and understand and apply these truths that we've considered together this day. And again, our desire is that through this, your kingdom would come, your will would be done in earth and on heaven above. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.